from him who is ever patient with us, wanting no one to perish, and from him whose mercy is never-ending and undying, be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our text for this morning is our gospel lesson, especially this last part of Jesus' little parable of the fig tree, where the vine dresser says, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is our text. I saw a little cartoon this week that had a caterpillar and a butterfly sitting at a cafe. You know, caterpillars and butterflies always do that. Caterpillar and a butterfly sitting at a cafe. And the caterpillar says to the butterfly, Man, you sure have changed. And the butterfly says back to him, we're supposed to. Isn't that true? I'm wondering this morning whether we have a bunch of caterpillars in this room or a room filled with butterflies. Or to put it another way, if Jesus came here today, would he find a bunch of fruitless fig trees or a room filled with figs falling all over the place and trees bearing all kinds of fruit? Or to put it another way, if Jesus would come back today, would he find in this room a room full of unrepentant sinners or a church filled with sinner saints who have received the forgiveness of Jesus and are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? You see, it's the nature of caterpillars to be transformed into butterflies. It is the nature of a fig tree to bear fruit to bear figs, and it is the nature of Christians to live a life of repentant faith by the grace of God. Jesus makes it clear that now is the time to repent, not just in Lent, not just when we're sitting here at church, but every day of our lives. Jesus makes it clear that when bad things happen, since bad things are happening all the time, All of us need to hear his clear call to repentance and turn away from our sin and turn toward the cross. In today's gospel lesson, we hear that there were some Galileans who had come to the temple to make their sacrifices for the Passover, and Pilate sends in troops and kills them while they're making their sacrifice. A tragic thing that happened. And then Jesus mentions a tower in Siloam that falls and kills 18 people. And as Jesus recounts these things, as he tells these stories, Jesus doesn't address the cause of these bad things, except to say that the cause is not the specific bad behavior of the individuals who had suffered these tragedies. Jesus is more interested in how people respond to these bad things. There is obviously no shortage of bad things happening in our world today. Think about the things that have just been happening recently. A plane crashes in Africa. Mass murder in New Zealand. Floods in Nebraska. Christian churches are being bombed in the Philippines and people are losing their lives over their faith. Closer to home we have 
traffic jams and car accidents and injuries on I-4. We have nightly news filled with all kinds of evil from beginning to end, so much so that I can't even know why anybody would want to watch that news. And in our own lives, we have little things like colds and the flu and broken down cars and sometimes big things like disease and divorce and death. And when these things happen, we are tempted to ask, like the disciples of old, why are these things happening? Why are these things happening to me or to a specific person? When the disciples witnessed a man who had been born blind, they asked, why is this happening to him? Was it because he sinned or because his parents sinned? We think that people must be guilty of something, and that's why bad things are happening. God must be punishing people for something that we might not know anything about, something in their past or something in their mind. But Jesus says no. He takes it to another level. These tragedies and troubles that happen are a result of God's wrath on all humankind. We shouldn't be saying when these bad things happen, well, they must have deserved it. Instead, we ought to be saying, I deserve the same. Jesus makes it clear that when anything bad happens, it's a reminder for us as believers to repent, to change our lives, to have our minds renewed by the grace of the Spirit, to have them transformed by Christ. Don't just repent when you messed up. Repent when anything bad happens. When you're sitting there watching the news, all these bad things are happening, it's a reminder I need to repent. As one commentator put it, repentance is not a transaction with God for the temporary relief of guilt. We can't trade our good works for God's forgiveness. Repenting is a turning away from anything that is not right in this world and turning toward the one who can and does make all things right. Repentance is a constant return to the one who is merciful. It's a constant turning to the cross, which is where this unfruitful fig tree comes in. The purpose the very nature of this fig tree is to bear fruit. And so here's a fig tree that deserves to be cut down and be destroyed because it's not doing what it was made, what it was created to do. I'm wondering if this morning we see ourselves in this fig tree. I can clearly see myself in it. I don't always bear Christian fruit in my life. I am too often hateful and spiteful toward other people. I, I lack a forgiving heart and a faith-filled head. The fruit that I produce in my life is far too often rotten, sometimes filled with worms. I deserve to be cut down and thrown into the fire. My sin makes me completely unworthy for life in this world, let alone life in the kingdom of God. God has created me, he has created us to be faithful, fruitful Christians. 
And when we truly examine ourselves, we are anything but. We see the results of sin and unfruitfulness everywhere in our lives. We look around our world and we see it everywhere out there too. All the bad stuff happening in our lives and in this world calls us every single day to repentance before we die without any hope for the life that is to come. And yet our God is the God of second chances. In today's text, he gives that fig tree a second chance. He gives that fruitless tree a dose of his mercy. The vine dresser doesn't just let that fig tree sit there and hope, well, maybe something good is going to happen to this fig tree and eventually it'll bear fruit. No, he says, I'm going to be active. I will take action. I'm going to dig around the roots so that it will be watered well. I'm going to put fertilizer on it. I will care for it. I'm going to give it whatever it needs so that eventually it will bear fruit. The vine dresser is patient with that tree as our God is patient with us. And as we see a little bit later on in this very same chapter of Luke, Jesus says, it is necessary that I will die on behalf of all humankind. And so today we thank God that Jesus perished for me, that he was cut down for me, that he was placed upon the tree for me and for everybody so that I might not perish eternally so that you might not perish eternally. God has been patient with me. He has watered me with his love and with his grace and my baptism. He has nurtured me with the fertilizer of his word. He has fed me with the food of his crucifixion so that I am forgiven of all of my sins and so are you. God has done everything necessary for me to be forgiven and to bear the good fruit of repentance in my life. He lives in me and in you and in us and through us so that we would live up to the nature that he has called us to be as his children. And that only happens because we are forgiven. I cannot help but tell you a story this morning that I read not too long ago about a Lutheran pastor named Jim Nestingen. Jim Nestingen is a hulking six foot six Minnesota beer drinker with a belly to prove it. Jim was boarding a plane one day to fly coast to coast when he saw who he would be sharing a row with. You know how this kind of goes. You get on the plane and you see that person coming and you're thinking, uh-oh. It was a man who was just as big as he was. So they awkwardly wedge up against each other and exchange niceties, preparing for the long haul, basically sitting in each other's laps. And in response to the obligatory job question, Jim said, I am a preacher of the gospel. The man next to him responded almost allergically, I'm not a believer. Jim assured him that was okay, and they kept on talking. And it turned out that the man had been an inf infantryman in Vietnam, and ever since, he had carried with him all the things that he had done and seen when he was in Vietnam. As the plane flew from one end of the country to the other, the man dumped his entire story into the lap of Jim. And when he had finished, Jim asked the man, 
Have you confessed all the sins that are troubling you? The man balked. Confess? I haven't confessed anything. Jim boomed back. Well, you've been confessing your sins to me this whole flight long. And I've been commanded by Christ Jesus that when I hear a confession like that, to hand over the goods and speak a particular word to you. So do you have any more sins burdening you? If so, throw them in there. To which the man balked again. No, that's all. But I'm not a believer, I told you. I don't have any faith in me. Well, Jim unbuckled his seatbelt mid-landing and stood over the man, which, as you can imagine, caused quite a stir with the flight crew. And he said to the man, well, that's quite all right, brother. Jesus says that it's what inside of you is what's wrong with the world. I'm going to speak faith in you. And he proceeded with the absolution. He said, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And flabbergasted the man, balked again. You can't do that. To which Pastor Jim responded, I can and I just did and I will do it again. And he did. And all of a sudden, the man began weeping uncontrollably. And that weeping turned into him laughing uncontrollably all the way down the tarmac and to the gate. As they got up and were getting their luggage out of the overhead bin, Jim grabbed the man's hand, put his card in it, and said, you're likely not going to believe your forgiveness tomorrow or the next day or the week after that. When you stop having faith in it, call me, and I'll bear witness to you of it again, and I'll keep on doing it until you do, until you really do, trust and believe it. And you know what? The man did. He called him, no joke, every single day for the rest of his life. To hear that word of forgiveness spoken over him in Christ Jesus. Surrendering to this absolution, to this forgiveness, became something that that man could not live without. That forgiveness, that absolution is something you and I cannot live without. It is the nature of caterpillars to be changed into butterflies. It is the nature of fig trees to bear fruit. And it is the nature of Christians to live a life of repentant faith by the grace of God. By the forgiveness of your sins, you are forgiven to be who you have been called to be by the grace of God. And I know you've heard it only already once this morning, but I want you to hear it again. In the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, all of them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God's forgiveness is something we cannot live without. 
and it is yours as a free gift as you turn away from sin and sinfulness, always turning to the cross, who entered the cocoon of the grave, Jesus did for you, only to be transformed into new and bodily life for you so that you will receive the same. Amen.